Host, alongside my co-host, as always, Noah Butler. We're joined by our usual guests, Nathan Ecker and Joe Gardner. Big sports talk night tonight. A lot of NFL talk this week. There were some a lot of great games this weekend on the weekend slate. Uh, we got some NA, NBA talk, as always, talking our teams of the week. And, as always, through this World Cup, we'll be talking it all the way through. But tonight, we will be starting off with our NFL segment, and we'll be looking at last week's Thursday night football game in AFC East Divisional Rivalry matchup between the Bills heading out to Foxborough, Massachusetts to take on the Patriots. Bills ended up getting a 24-10 win, assuring their spot in first place in the AFC East, now 9-3. Josh Allen had an alright game, but, I mean, really showed off his skill on a great, uh, Rollout touchdown pass to Gabe Davis ended up near the sideline, shrugged off a defender, jumped in the air before firing at about 20, 25 yards downfield into the arms of his deep threat, Gabe Davis. Um, Noah, I mean, start us off. What did you see last Thursday night with the Bills? Obviously, uh, these teams not quite as evenly matched or even it used to be the other way around with the Patriots taking it out on the Bills, but Bills going into Foxborough and getting a win. You know, to be quite fair, this is, I, I didn't really watch this last Thursday night game. And I haven't really, like, Thursday night football, I don't know, we've, I, we've talked about it on the show. Like, the scheduling has just kind of not been the greatest. But, no, what I did see, I did see that, I did see that jump pass from Josh Allen. And, you know, the Bills continue their dominance over the Patriots. This is the first team over the last three years to beat the Patriots all three years, which is like a flip side of, like you were saying, the division, like, yeah, the Bills have always been on the losing end of that divisional streak, but nine and three sit sitting first in the AFC East. AFC. Yeah. Oh, in no. the AFC now. Yeah, the Chiefs lost to the Bengals, so the oh they did. Bills are number one, which my dad would kill me for saying that. <laughs> but uh, no, it was a good game for the Bills, and I think everyone saw the video of Mac Jones yelling at Matt Patricia. Uh, on the I'd like line, to yell at Matt Patricia too, which shouldn't be an offensive coordinator. And I mean, I don't think that's his official position, but he is calling the plays. Which he's a defensive-minded coach. He was the defensive coordinator on the Patriots, and is now calling offensive plays. Uh, that's a, I don't know what Bill's thinking. He's a good head coach, but that's not not, not the right way to, especially to help Mac Jones progress after his. This is now second year. Does that say more about how far the Patriots have fallen? that Patricia is their offensive coordinator or more about uh, how far uh, Patricia <laughs> has fallen <laughs> that he's calling offensive plays for the Patriots. I mean, Patricia was never much in Detroit. It kind of was a disappointment all the way through there. I mean, he had Matthew Stafford kind of near those tail end years right before he ended up winning a Super Bowl with the Rams and didn't really do anything with it. My number one note on the Patriots is their offense just isn't efficient enough to compete with teams, let alone when they get behind later in games. The only guy that's really consistently getting a chunk yardage for them is Ramondre Stevenson, you know, solid back out of the backfield, getting it done a little bit more in the receiving game as well. A little bit bigger back, but, you know, the Patriots have always liked that, looking back on guys like Lawrence Maloney and um, Ben Jarvis Green Ellis, to name a couple that just bigger backs that the Patriots have had, and he's really all they had. I mean, the Patriots are looking to defensive backs to make plays at this point. You have um, a defensive back, Marcus Jones, getting one of the Patriots' touchdowns in the game on a 48-yard touchdown screen, just 
One, he was a third-round pick in 2022, but that's how desperate it's gotten in New England. They're looking to any possible playmakers, and I think, like you said, it speaks to Matty Patricia. Like, it's gotten to the point where they're not even pointing fingers at maybe the play calling or the situations they're putting themselves in. It's, we're going to look for plays from a defensive back because we can't find anything on offense. It's a... it's an interesting situation for the Patriots. You know, I think the Marcus Jones thing kind of speaks to the Patriots as well. They, they've always had a great fondness in turning players just into utility men. Like Marcus Jones, defensive back originally, and played that in college. And then you put him out on the offense, and he torches the defense for a 48-yard screen pass. Like, it's, New, it's still New England. They're going to be able to develop these players that can just do quite literally anything they want. Yeah, no, I 100% agree. They always find a way to even get a score somehow. Like Marcus Jones, that was a great play that I, I that was made by him. And I don't know, they always do find a way just to get things done, even though if they, they didn't win, but they just always find a way to score somehow in a game. I mean, they got. it's not like their defense didn't get torched, though. Maybe they should have their DBs focusing on locking up receivers before, you know, going downfield and getting touchdowns. Stephon Diggs, seven receptions, 92 yards, and a touchdown, quite literally making himself a Patriot slayer up there in the AFC East since he's gotten traded over from the Vikings. I mean, James Cook got a little bit loose, too, on 14 carries, had 64 yards, and six receptions, another 41 yards. Just absolutely ridiculous from the rookie back out of the backfield, getting loose, looking shifty. Um, he was picking up about four or five yards, it seemed like, every time he touched the ball. It was a really impressive performance that we haven't really seen out of him yet. But just, um, like I said, a, uh, it, it's a tough loss for the Patriots, and it just it felt weird. A primetime game, Thursday night football, short week. You know, those are the type of games Bill Belichick lives for. He knows how to coach in those situations, supposedly. But, you know, losing at home in a primetime short week game, it definitely hurts for the Patriots. And um, I I, I think it speaks to where their program's kind of moving to. And they're not the same Patriots anymore. And I think this game was kind of an acceptance factor of that. No, I totally agree with you. I, I see something else you have in your notes there. Yeah, Tyler okay. Bass, 65-yarder. Yeah, opened up the wow. game. The first score of the game was a 65-yarder from Bass. Just a boomstick on that first drive Jeez. for the Bills. But um, looking across uh, the NFL at a uh, interdivisional game on Sunday, the Pittsburgh Steelers stay in the win column and keep possibly, you know, Mike Tomlin has had a winning or has never had a losing season in all his years in Pittsburgh, dating back to the late 2000s. This year, 5-7, fourth in the AFC North now, after Sunday's 19-16 win over the Falcons. But a, uh, a weird performance. The offense didn't really execute in between um, when in plus territory, but kicker um, was able to make 4-4 four for four on field goals and nailed his extra point as well for, I mean, that's 13 points right there. That's a... Uh, uh, three less than what your opponent scored and six less than what you ended up scoring. So just a pretty good game out of a leg right there. Well, the Steelers had to rely on the kicker a lot, again, because you said they couldn't get it done in plus territory. Every single time they got down the field, they, they had a false start penalty or multiple false start penalties that pushed them way back into field goal range. And, like, they had some highlight plays from... Connor Hayward's first touchdown as a Pittsburgh Steeler. 
against his dad's against former his dad's team former too. team. And there was a story before the game that him and Cam Hayward went to their father's grave, obviously before the game. And then when he scored, Cam Hayward, Cam Hayward said he got like super emotional, and he was like, "I'm lucky they didn't put the cameras on me when he scored." I'd imagine. I mean, those two getting to play together with the Steelers right now. Um, our my uh, a high school coach that I coached with. He was the head coach of the freshman program that I was uh, serving as a receivers DBs coach on. He played in a New Jersey uh, high school football around the same time that Craig Ironhead Hayward, obviously um, Connor Hayward's father. Um, played his high school ball, and uh, one time he uh, knocked the face mask off of an opponent with a hit. Just absolute destruction. I mean, um, playing street ball, the legend is Ironhead Hayward um, would put his head down and just um, went like run his head into people's stomachs and, you know, just pick up street ball, and some people would say that his head was as hard as iron, and so he got that nickname playing street ball around there but I remember hearing that story and uh, it was really cool to see him uh, Connor obviously get that touchdown on Sunday against one of the teams that his dad played for and I think one of the biggest storylines were the rookie Rodgers receivers in this game Drake London I don't remember his stat line but he he had a great six game. receptions and 95 yards yeah on, he, on he went off and then on the other side of the, on the Steelers uh George Pickens, the second-round pick, he had one catch for two yards, which he I saw that he he expressed his frustrations with both the offense and the and Kenny Pickett himself and the coaching staff. So that is one of the bigger storylines because George Pickens does look like one of the best rookie wide receivers in this draft class. The same George Pickens that I saw flinching away from contact and dropping balls during the game against the Falcons, that's the same George Pickens that was complaining. Well, He's also the George Pickens that had that one-handed catch against the the Giants, I believe it was. Browns. The Browns. Yeah, but still, I'm, I'm not too high on oh, I, I The Steelers' offense looked more innovative than it has been. There was a lot of drops by other playmakers on the team, a lot of missed opportunities. I don't think it necessarily falls on Pickett. And for a young receiver to call out his quarterback, I, I don't think that's ever a good situation or a, a light that you'd want to shine on your quarterback. I think you need to call out Matt Canada for that one. Bingo. Um, I've been saying this all season. That offense is just not – it has the, so much potential to be explosive. There's so many – spectacular playmakers on the team they're just never utilized correctly the running game the Steelers are fourth in the last three weeks in in rushing like 400 463 yards in the last four weeks um the rushing game was really good but they just need to balance it out and have an actual good offense also Najee dribbling people's heads off the field that, looking yeah, like he, that, was, that was an angry run that was an Ooh. angry run hey these alabama backs are made different but no the steelers defense played really well too i mean the pass defense which has been a drastic low point throughout the season really brought it together this week they held marcus mariota and the falcons passing offense to 13 to 24 passing just 167 yards and one touchdown Obviously, the Steelers' defense held in the red zone, forcing the Falcons to take a field goal 19-16 to with uh, not a lot of time remaining. The Steelers' offense wasn't able to drain out all the clock on the next possession, but Presley Harvin got a huge punt down the Falcons inside the five and set him up in a tough situation. And Minka Fitzpatrick, the defensive back from traded from Miami a couple seasons ago, who's been huge for this Pittsburgh Steelers unit, comes up with an interception 
to seal the deal and get it done. And the Steelers, I mean, close out a team win. I mean, special teams and defense really getting it done and holding strong for this team. Marcus Mariota didn't look to scramble too much, and it really is when he gets loose when this Falcons offense starts to open up. The Falcons offense opens up a lot through the run game. Um, yeah, they they were able to pound it on the ground. And, I don't know. Yeah, but looking at a rivalry game from this weekend between two teams that are, um, I mean, Aaron Rodgers has had the Bears number for the, some time now. But this year, I mean, these teams are both down. It seemed like a possible year where the Bears could get one. No, not not the Packers are still the Packers. They still figure it out. Go into uh, Chicago and figure out a way to get a win. Uh, Packers are now five and eight, third in the NFC North. I mean, they likely need to win their final four games out, but still, maybe possibly, perhaps a playoff chance for them. Hanging on by a sliver. I mean, AJ Dillon looked good in the game. Oh, a hundred plus total yards with the touchdown in. The Bears' rush attack, it, it, I genuinely thought it was going to be enough to push this team past the Packers with how horrid they had looked against the Eagles a couple weeks before, giving up over 300 yards on the ground. But, no, um, Justin Fields not able to get as loose as he has in recent weeks, and the Packers end up taking a 28-19 win. That just speaks to the Packers. I, I don't think if, – if this was the Packers versus anybody else, I think it would have been a lot closer game. Well, obviously, because, like – because it's the Bears, but it's the Bears. That's why this game is so like the score is so much more bloated than it actually is. Twenty-eight to nineteen, eleven or a nine-point game. Like that's not that's like a two-possession win, but the game spoke much more to what it actually was, like the score. And like and the Bears, uh, they have two owners. One of them's Aaron Rodgers, first of all. Yeah. But uh, it was the honestly, Packers have none. Yeah. They, AJ Dillon's one of them, actually. <laughs> no, but uh, it was just a great game overall. Um, Christian Watson, the rookie, I think he had a. Did he have a receiving and a rushing? I know I think, he had a rushing. I think it was just a rushing. Oh, okay. Well, he had a great receiving game, or uh, great receiving day, and he had, I think it was like a 64 yard rushing touchdown. And then on the other side, Justin Fields had a 65 rushing touchdown, which. Big play. Dude, Justin Fields is so impressive. He doesn't cease oh, he to doesn't. amaze me, surprise he, me. Yeah, he, he he's a runner. But uh, also, Jair Alexander finally showed up. He had a pick in the game. I think Claypool fumbled the ball to Razul Douglas, which the Packers' defense is somewhat showing up there, even though the Bears could still run the ball down their throats. Um, it, it was just a great game by both teams, but also – not a great defensive performance, I would say, for both teams as well, regardless of the pick and the fumble recovery. You know, we were speaking on it too, but Christian Washington, actually, he, he did have two touchdowns yeah, in that yeah, game, yeah. yeah. Um, and he's, he's been a lot of the reason for the Packers' success so far too, that got him, got him out of the slump they seem to have themselves in in the beginning of the season. Um, I have an interesting stat here from at Ike Packers on Twitter, but Christian Watson has more... Uh, touchdowns this year than Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, Cooper Cup, Tyreek Hill, and DK Metcalf. And he's only played the last three, four games. Yeah. That and started the last three. He scored his first one about four games ago, too. That's the thing. Uh, insane. It's crazy. Yeah, this past game, the full stat line for Watson, he did have that 146-yard rushing touchdown, but in the receiving game as well as the touchdown that Nathan just mentioned had, ooh, just lost his name. <laughs> 
It was three receptions, 48 yards for a 16 average. So he's making big plays downfield for the Packers, stretching it a little bit more than what they've been able to do through most of this season. And a lot of their offense was coming from either Lazard in the intermediate game or Daubs in the other assortment of slot receivers that they have sheltered on their roster behind the line of scrimmage in the screen game. Also, Jaguars legend Mercedes Lewis got that two-point conversion at the end of the game. How about him still playing? I mean, making plays in the league. I think 17, 18 years in, nearing 39, 40 years old. He was drafted in 2007, so it's just over, I think it's 15 years now. Most quarterbacks from that time are already retired, let alone a tight end still doing it in the league. One of the most uh, arguably physical positions in the NFL, doing a mix of you got to run fast still in the receiving game, make cuts just like a young guy, and then also, yeah, put your head down and block on the end of the line to seal off this run. I, it's a it's a demanding position, and Mercedes Lewis is a dude. He's not a big receiving threat, but he can, he sure can block. and he also, Hey, he got the two-point conversion. He also <laughs> seems to get most of the two-point conversions for them. Which I see his name pop up a lot. But yeah, looking across uh, the league at the Packers uh, division rival, uh, the Minnesota Vikings hold off the multiple comeback attempts from Mike White in the Jets to hold on and win 27-22. Now the Vikings, still one of the top teams in the NFC, looking primed to compete up there with uh, the Eagles or whoever else you want to throw in that conversation for the NFC crown this season. What did you guys see in this game? I saw the, I don't know, I saw the Jets more than the Vikings. The Jets, they had so many opportunities to complete that comeback. So many, and they squandered them. Does Zach Wilson complete the comeback? No, Zach Wilson no. does not. Zach Wilson doesn't score more than 10 points. The only reason they, they made that close of a game was Mike White. Mike White put the team on his back. 369 passing yards. And then he threw a pick at the end. But Had two in the game. Yeah. The, the whole team, is. it looks like they're behind Mike White. I saw all over the internet there was most of the team wearing Mike White shirts. And Zach Wilson inactive for a second straight game, which isn't a good look for the, the second overall pick from last year. But Is this going to end up like Sam Darnold? <laughs> Probably. Yeah. yeah. But uh, didn't they have, like, three chances to come back in the last five minutes of the game? And, like, the Vikings had the ball at the one, and then they didn't get any yards, punted, and then they had another chance, and then he threw a pick. Threw a pick. It. Just the, yeah, there the was multiple chances down in yeah. that area, and they just couldn't get it done. But, I mean, this is a really talented Vikings team. Their defense has been up this season. Obviously, their offense goes. Um, but the Jets held them 27, which isn't terrible in some of these shootout games if the Jets were able to get one more score. But Garrett Wilson's stat line is absolutely stupid. Eight receptions, 162 yards from the rookie wide receiver. These kids, I mean, I don't want to call them kids because they're technically men and obviously bigger and older than me. But that being said, just young dudes in the league making enormous impact, huge plays, crazy numbers. It's... We see it across the league at the receiving position now. Like we, I feel like it's been the mainstream conversation that, oh, receivers are taking over the league. But I think it's getting to a point where there's so many that they're starting to lose value. The young, I don't know. Yeah, there's so many receivers, honestly. And a lot of, it's either you get a really good receiver or just a slightly above average receiver. I don't think there's any awful receivers in the NFL, quite honestly. Like there's guys who drop passes 
but they don't hang around for too long. They don't hang around for too long, and that's why you only see the slightly above average guys still in the league. Well, there's right now there's about two players that are in their third or second year in the NFL. They're top five, and that's Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson. And but just the young receivers are taking over, and it's it's just gonna keep keep coming as these players are getting better and they're developing more in college. Yeah, it's. It's impressive, and it is 100% the college development. These receivers are now, with the 7-on-7 camps in high school, catching hundreds of balls weekly, uh, almost every week of the year now, running routes consistently. I mean, blocking obviously isn't as much as part of these offenses, so, I mean, that takes away from some things. But, you know, the guys that learn will still learn. And the route running is at a higher level than ever. But the defensive back play has... um, really been catching up as well and I mean the Jets have one of those guys who's come into the league right away and just I mean instated himself as a uh, premier corner in the league a guy that does not uh, quarterbacks do not want to look in his direction with Ahmad Sauce Gardner he's given up a couple plays this season nothing nothing that you wouldn't expect from a rookie but the shutdown performance that he has put together as a rookie are Huge, and I think that this battle between receivers and DBs is going to be interesting over the next few years of the league. And speaking of DBs, um, Sauce is doing great, which he's favorite for, or one of the favorites for Defensive Player of the Year, but this is a list of the most touchdowns allowed as the primary defender, and there's some big names on here. So starting at, or at the top, Jalen Ramsey has allowed seven touchdowns on 62 targets. Jalen Ramsey is a bit washed. Arguably best, or arguably the best cornerback in the league. Amazing on the Jaguars. A little, a lot worse on the Rams, but still seven touchdowns on sixty-two two targets. Next on your on the list, AJ Terrell, seven touchdowns on fifty-two targets. I I think his situation's a little bit tougher. He doesn't have a lot of safety help in yeah. Atlanta, and he is the one real corner that they have in that group. So he's tasked with almost everything. It is a big. It's a, it's a different situation, but um, next, Xavier Howard, six touchdowns on 59 targets. Which he has got fallen off. He has pretty good. He has um, Byron Jones in the other corner, and then in the slot, he has Noah Igbenogany, who first round pick as two years ago, which he's, you know, he's there. I don't know if he's great, but he's not like I terrible. He, I think he's pretty solid. Yeah. And then la- um, the fourth on this list is Asante Samuel Jr. Six tar or six touchdowns on eighty four targets. Yeah, Zant hasn't been great this season. It's a it's been a tough year, and I I think again the Chargers are in a situation where yeah you do have a Derwin James in that situation, but uh, you bring in Bryce Callahan, which is great, but I just. The Chargers are lacking a real number one corner, and he's, uh, I think, a couple years away from really being being that dude. He can be, but, it, again, it's just some of these guys are put on an island in their situations, but at the same time, there are some I'm, bigger-name corners. You make your name by getting interceptions. Thing is, uh, if you guys remember, Trayvon Diggs was one of the most burned corners last season while generating, a, a, what was it, 11 interceptions he finished the year with, which is yeah. insane. The turnover factor largely outweighs any production on the other side, though, because uh, defense is going to give up touchdowns no matter what. It, it, it's going to come to somewhere. There's going to be scores allowed eventually. 
when you're able to just generate turnovers, though, when you're regardless of what what the back end means, it I think it has it means more to a team. But the second you stop producing those turnovers, like I don't think Jalen Ramsey is as much of a uh, prowess defender as he used to be. You know, being able to get a lot of forced fumbles as a physical tackler, and you know, a, a hawk back in the day. It, some guys. It, the risk reward factor evens itself out, and then others have just, I mean, fallen off that list. Well, yeah, and like Jalen, he wasn't even like a big turnover machine anyway back in the in his Jaguars days when he was the lockdown corner number one. Uh, no, but uh, people learn but, to look the opposite way yeah. quickly. And then Xavier Howard, who has been that guy, he has he leads the inter- in the NFL. He has twenty eight interceptions since twenty sixteen, mm-hmm. which is a lot. And I think he had a year with. A, like but I don't remember the number. Eight, I, th- I, think. I think it was eight, yeah. And like he's on that list now, but he like turnovers. Yeah, like he was considered one of the best corners in the league because of that, and he was also a lockdown at the same time. Yeah, like Trayvon Diggs, he is that pick machine. But I've seen way too many clips of him getting absolutely dusted. I think in the last game against the Colts, I one of the players juked him completely out of the camera frame. <laughs> like he he went to do a he went to do a out move, Diggs bit, and then he just ran up straight. I think there's almost a play every game with Diggs like that. At least one. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, obviously this conversation started back with Sauce Gardner and the Jets and um, their season so far, but looking across at the other New York team, the Giants, I I hate this. It, 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 we're talking about it because I hate it, but a 20-20 to 20 tie tie guys a tie football game it's a soccer is game. how it ends the commanders now seven five and one fourth place in the nfc east going into their bye the giants seven four and one third in the nfc east and guess what we get this rematch next or in two weeks on sunday night football for week 15 the raiders and patriots get flexed out for this rematch in washington which will be interesting because i mean this is a actually talented nfc east division this year there's a lot of playoff implications going into this but coming off of a tie i hate ties the college football scene has it so figured out on how to conclude a football game but for some reason the nfl still allows teams to have soccer records with three three things noted it's stupid it's ridiculous this is american sports we have a winner we are the country that invented baseball we play until there's a winner and so it it makes me angry that we have a 2020 tie but obviously taylor heineke 275 two touchdown the giants have also been a a bit of a wagon in their own right in that division this season. What did what did you guys think of this game? It's a tie. <laughs> I don't. The, the, you can't say much else about it. The over the whole overtime period was probably one of the most boring ten minutes of football I've ever had to watch. <laughs> it's just, oh yeah, you just punt back, just punt back to each other and do it all over. You go nowhere. Did you see how numb and dumb the coaches looked kind of standing on the sideline after the final? How are you supposed to react? No, I think the commentator made a comment like, how are you supposed to react? And it really was like both the coaches were kind of looking across the field at each other on opposite sidelines like, wait, is this, do we go shake hands now? Or is there another period? Like, Like, what's next? But, I mean, for the commanders, we don't get to know what's next for two weeks. 
You know what? I think I think too. I think you guys are overlooking the tie just just a little bit because I think I mean later later in the season, um, we're you know that's this has huge ramifications. I mean just for that for that whole division that is as close as it gets. So if anything, it makes that next matchup between if even bigger because a winner can you know it can be win loss to see uh, see who gets in the playoffs or not. And also, I think that this would be. I think this weekend would be the commander's bye week. So if it's a Giants loss, whoever wins this next game is going to overtake the other team in the division because they'll be, they'll be both 7-5-1 and one if the Giants do lose this week. So that also could really change up the, that whole division. They'd be, they'd be third, right? It's, they're the bottom two yeah, teams. Yeah, they're the yeah. bottom two teams yeah. because uh, Dallas and the Eagles actually doing something this year. Yeah, and then also Scary Terry. Eight, he had eight catches for 105 yards and one touchdown, which I didn't see much of this game, but Scary Terry is, he, he's like, honestly, the like number three now on that team with Curtis Samuel and, and um, Curtis Samuel's Jahan looked Dodson. really good. Yeah. yeah, and he shouldn't be the number three. He'd be a number one on most teams in this league. That's the thing. I What we've talked about with the receivers being an abundance of them, what's weird is there's an abundance of them throughout the league, and there's definitely a higher number than there is teams and drastically show maybe three to one. But not every team has receivers despite that. Like, not every team has guys' weapons and, like, uh, we obviously one of those teams I'd argue is the Patriots, who we talked about uh, starting off this episode um, with um, you know their lack of targets. They have two tight ends who are decent but not producing much with the lack of vertical threats that they have. But just a uh, a tough look. But before we get into our next game here on the double double on KLJX LP Flagstaff, I just do th- either of these teams make. A difference in the playoffs if they get there are either of these teams actual threats getting to the postseason I know in the uh, 2000 uh, I think it was 13 season the year the Giants uh, beat the Patriots for the second time they got into the playoffs at a meager nine and seven as I think the sixth wildcard team ended up going on to win the Super Bowl that year obviously the Giants this year sitting at seven four and one with uh, I quick math five games remaining in that and uh the Commanders, with four games remaining at 7-5-1, and one, are either of these teams mean anything in the NFC East or in the NFC playoff seed or scene with the way it's going? You know, I think the quick answer is, is definitely not. But it's uh, it's still football. I mean, <laughs> is, isn't that what really matters? I mean, he has a point. Like, anything can happen. The going to hurt to say this, but last week the Jaguars beat the Ravens, and this week they got absolutely obliterated by the Lions, so anything <laughs> can really happen. Like, if the playoffs Jimmy were to Fox start... in a movie about this. <laughs> if the playoffs were to start today, I think the Cowboys, Giants, and the Commanders would be the bottom three seeds because of, obviously, the first four of the divisions, but then the bottom three would be the other three AFC East teams, so I don't know if it really changes up. I mean... Uh, they're not going to play each other unless one of them beats them and plays the Eagles. But it it just, I mean, I don't know if it'll really shake it up much with the other teams that they'll be playing against in the playoffs. Yeah, and speaking of the Eagles, they absolutely demolished a solid team in the Tennessee Titans this week. Eagles now 11-1, like we've talked about, holding on to that first seed in the NFC and in the, obviously, first place in the NFC East. 
Titans, on the other hand, fall to 7-5. and five. The AFC South gets a little bit closer, but with the Colts and their situation, but still in second place in the division, it likely does not mean much. Jalen Hurts absolutely balled out. 380 passing yards with three touchdowns. I think the Eagles are the real deal. Right now, they're, I think, my Super Bowl favorite. I'd say I think that they have the power to go on. They have a deep running back stable full of guys that can make plays. Their receivers also not as deep as their running backs to, to say, but are, honestly, are we worried about health with a guy like A.J. Brown, who seems to make other grown men into children? <laughs> Well, I think the big part of how big A.J. Brown's game was is because he is playing against his former team, which really did help. When I, I'm pretty sure everyone's seen the play where he's about like 40 yards open, wide open on his, touch, his second touchdown catch of the day. Like A.J. Brown just went off. Jalen Hurts had four total touchdowns. I think Devontae Smith had a touchdown. And uh, Devontae Smith had one, A.J. Brown had two, and then Jalen Hurts ran one in and just demolished the Titans and... Derrick Henry, 30 yards on I don't know how many carries, but yeah. 11 carries, 11. averaging 2.7 a carry. Whoa. Low, low Whoa. total for the King. Hey, the Eagles just added some interior defensive well, yeah. linemen a couple weeks ago. Ndamukong Sue. Linville Joseph. Oh, yeah. Oh, Linville uh, I didn't even know about that. Both uh, of them. I, I knew about, oh, my God, I can't talk. Ndamukong Sue. And then even Jordan Davis, I don't know, I don't think he played, but he's also, he's on his way to come back, and those three in the middle is massive, but I don't know, I kind of wish the the playoffs for fantasy would start, because Derrick Henry's about to have a bounce, bounce back game against the Jaguars next week, so... I'm glad. I mean, losing Traylon Burks really hurt the Titans. He had one catch for 25 yards and a touchdown. It was an amazing play between double coverage, but in that double coverage took a rough shot, the crown of the defender's helmet straight into his face masking. Um, I, I'm not going to speculate, but it looked like he was knocked out cold on the field for a second. And, you know, obviously with what we've seen this season with head injuries with Tua Tagovailoa early in the year, um, sparking an entire change in the way that the NFL handles concussion procedures. Traylon Burks going down, it was a scary hit, and he's been having a great season. He battled back from a toe injury earlier in the year, got back healthy, has really came along, similar to Christian Watson these last few weeks, and goes down on that hit. And, I mean... Obviously, it might only be a week or two. It might only be that game. You never know because everyone reacts different to situations like that. But just a a tough situation, and you could tell it really hurt the Titans because their next leading receiver was Chigozem Okwankwo with um, four receptions, 48 yards. And he's really come along, obviously, the fastest tight end in last year's draft. Um, I think he ran a 4-5-2 or something like that at the – combine uh went decently high in the draft because of it and has come along as a playmaker here but it would be huge for the titans to have Traylon burks and it sucked because this was kind of the game between um Traylon burks and aj brown and subtly obviously they're both wide receivers so they're never on the field at the same time but in this year's draft um the pick that A.J. Brown was traded for to the Philadelphia Eagles, the pick that the Eagles gave to the Titans, was used on Traylon Burks. So obviously he gets a touchdown on the other end. A.J. Brown has a big game and gets a touchdown, so they both win. But it, you would have liked to see it end a different way than it did for Traylon. I don't I don't think it was a, in that, like what you said. with the He gets a touchdown, he gets a touchdown. I don't think that's necessarily even because A.J. Brown sunned half of the Titans team. <laughs> 
Yeah. No, AJ was playing with a vengeance in that one. I don't even think it was a vengeance. I think he was just like, oh, yeah, I'm just AJ Brown. I, not even in a, not even a vengeance. No, you gotta have a little bit of something okay, against on, your former he team. Had to him because he the hasn't second even one done much the last few weeks too. No, yeah, I thing guess. Thing is, he I doesn't need it. to with the Eagles' offense. Oh, yeah, like no, they no. have so many different playmakers. Yeah, whoever wants it, to pop it doesn't off. have to go around. They each a new Eagles player pops off every single game, <laughs> and always consistently Jalen Hurts, who's MVP pick. Yeah, I, I think Jalen Hurts is really making a case for himself late Easily. season, and I I've been on this since early in the year, but. Uh, Looking at our next game, two top teams in the AFC. Chiefs at Bengals. A three-point game, just like in the AFC Championship game last season. Again, the Bengals getting it done, 27-24. Now 8-4, second place in the AFC North with the tiebreaker going to the Baltimore Ravens due to the head-to-head win over the Bengals that they had a little bit earlier, though those two teams do play, I believe, in Week 18, so that has a chance to be evened out if their two records stay even. The Chiefs, on the other hand, fall back a game but are still firmly in first place of the AFC West at 9-3. and three. Uh, Burrow had 286 and two touchdowns. Uh, Samaj P. Ryan really coming along for the Bengals. I, he uh, showed up um, when Joe Mixon went down with injury, and I think he really had his coming out party in a game against the Steelers, which Noah and I watched together. He uh, popped off for, I think, 100 yards and three, four touchdowns in that game. And then this week, though, 21 carries, 106 yards, another six receptions and 49 yards, getting it done multifaceted. And just really impressive performance from the Bengals, getting Jamar Chase back and uh, downing a uh, surging Chiefs team. You guys see Jamar Chase making it rain on Chiefs players? (laughs) If you you haven't seen it, I think it was uh, after after a score, uh, Jamar Chase is just... Just making it rain. I think it was even T. On, Higgins touchdown too. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It wasn't even his own. Was it, yeah, was it Justin Reed did it on? I yeah, it, was, it, was, yeah, it was Justin him Reed or made a few comments mm-hmm. earlier in the in the week talking about. He mentioned like Hayden Hurst, T. Higgins. I don't even know who he's talking about, but he just like kept miss or naming the wrong player, and I guess that hit a nerve with Bengals players. But they, yeah, Jamar Chase was definitely kind of mad there. Yeah, T. Higgins has been absolutely balling out as of late. So, I mean, uh, you you best remember his name. You best re- see the 85 in Cincinnati because the last few weeks when Jamar Chase has been injured, he's been able to step up He's been huge the offense. For the, he, yeah, yeah, you're right. He really has been the offense. Bengals. Yeah, Who? Bengals. Uh, Which is insane because they have Jamar Chase and Tyler Boyd and Joe Mixon and now Samaji Piran too. It's... It's insane that they have this many offensive weapons. How are we feeling about uh, Bengals' Super Bowl chances running it back at this point in the season? It seems like they're getting healthy and starting to go at the right time, which is exactly how it went for them last season, obviously sneaking in kind of last minute. not super. I mean, they won the games that they needed to win and got the wild card spot last season before surging all the way to the Super Bowl. It, are, are we going to see the same again this year? I, I don't know. I just, it just doesn't feel right. They might make it into the playoffs, but I just I don't know. It doesn't seem right to, for them to go all the way again and make it to the Super Bowl. I don't I don't really know how to explain that, but I don't know. That's just how I feel. Well, they're gonna win the division again. <laughs> are they number one? Uh, they're no, about Ravens to be. Are. The Ravens are number one, yeah. and only because of the head-to-head. But how, next week, how, the Ravens without Lamar. He's not playing. Is he out? He's out. Next week, they're playing the Steelers. Oh. So I think, yeah, no, I think the Steelers could. 
beat the Ravens next week, and then the Bengals are at the top of the division, and they unintentionally help the Bengals to win the division. Big prove-it game for Kenny Pickett. But uh, a big uh, Western uh, divisional battle uh, Sunday. Seahawks at Rams. Seahawks get back into the win column after a uh, bit of a uh, rough patch that they've had the last few weeks. I forget if they've won directly last week, but I know they haven't been as hot as they were coming through the start of the season. Now second place in the NFC West behind the 49ers at 7-5. and five. The Rams now 3-9, and nine, really falling behind in don't even have the draft picks to benefit from it. And, I mean, Geno Smith balled out. Uh, 367 yards, three touchdowns, one interception. Lockett had nine receptions, 128 and a touchdown. Metcalf, eight receptions, 127 and a touchdown. Just an absolute huge game for the main Seattle receivers. And the Seahawks get it done. And that's exactly a win that they needed to have. If they lose that one, fall behind to six and – or, yeah, they would have been six and six – 500, it, it shortens things up in the division a little bit, but now putting themselves in arguably a good position to uh, take at least a wild card spot in the NFC. Geno Smith for MVP, guys. <laughs> hear, hear me, hear me out. Hear me out. Okay, it's just he's been he, o- overlooked. I I love that face you're giving me. I love it. Um, but it's like I mean he he's been overlooked for so long, but he's. I'm, to be fair, the NFC West has also, is also like pretty easy to be taken advantage of this year. But also, Geno has 10 games this year with multiple passing touchdowns, 9 games with a, a pass rating over 100, and 8 games with a 70% or more completion percentage. He's, he's balling in Seattle. And I'm, I used to, I'm, I, as a Cardinals fan, I used to despise Seattle, but now that the Cardinals are... Moot trash to, wa- to watch. <laughs> now, now. I, 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 man, Seattle, Seattle is finding finding a, uh, a a near and dear place in my heart. Those two minutes of success with Kyler and uh, Cliff really got to your head. <laughs> uh, yeah. But, um, <laughs> nah, I, the, see, I'll tell you this: if if the Seahawks are able to turn it around, those couple weeks of turmoil were just that, and they go forward the rest of the season, win out and Geno Smith continues on this track, I don't see why not. I don't see why he can't be up there in that conversation, but I think the Seahawks, as it's been right now, 7-5, and five, it, it, even if they drop a couple more games, it makes that conversation almost moot if you're you're sitting at 10-7 and seven with two more losses. But that being said, if they can figure it out, if they can go on a run here, if Geno stays Geno in with 300-plus passing yards a game, I mean, three touchdowns, he's done it multiple times this year. Uh, why not? Why not? And you know, I don't. I don't think it would be too crazy for the Seahawks to kind of do what they do a little bit. I don't think any of us see them as like a real Super Bowl contender. Definitely not. But I, is I don't think I'd. I'd be surprised just to see them make the playoffs. And I don't want to say make a run, but give uh, give give some other teams a little bit of trouble. And we'll get into just one more game before moving on to our NBA talk. The Dolphins and 49ers, absolute uh, shootout. It went, obviously, in the way of the 49ers, led by quarterback Brock Purdy. Jimmy Garoppolo, unfortunately, broke his foot in the game and will be out the remainder of the season. 
in his stead to, I mean, maybe compete with Brock Purdy for the backup job here, or maybe even just to back up Purdy since Purdy has the longer experience through the season. The San Francisco 49ers have brought in San- University of San Diego legend Josh Johnson, the most uh, the, the player with the most amount of jerseys worn on his back in the NFL, playing for 14 different NFL franchises in his career, but Purdy looked pretty decent in uh, the performance. 25 of 37 passing. I mean, they put the ball in his hands a lot. Had two touchdowns and an interception with 210 passing yards. Christian McCaffrey, again, is a huge part of this offense, and they found a way to integrate him almost immediately. 17 carries, 66 yards, eight receptions for another 80 yards, and a touchdown. I mean, really getting it done in the receiving game. It just, this 49ers team, uh, they struggled out the gates. They were under 500 for a little bit, but now 8 and 4, first place in the NFC West. And surging a little bit here late season. Um, again, it's um, similar to what we talked about with the Bengals on how they surged to the playoffs last year. This is looking very similar to the 49ers late season run that they had in 2020 when they uh, went on to uh, play, play the Chiefs in the Super Bowl that year and obviously lost narrowly. It, it came down to a missed throw from Jimmy Garoppolo that could have really been the difference, but now here we are. Jimmy G goes down. 49ers still pull out a win against a really talented Dolphins team. Tua throws two picks, or I think, uh, was it th- two or three? He had two and a fumble. Two and a fumble, that's right. But tur- managed to get turnovers against the Dolphins and just a uh, dominating performance from a 49ers team that uh, I-, I think could be dangerous. And then going back to Brock Purdy, who was – the last pick of the draft, which some people call Mr. Irrelevant, but no, he's Mr. Irrelevant. He is the only Mr. Irrelevant to ever throw a touchdown pass. Actually, sorry, let alone t- throw a forward pass <laughs> ever in history. He is the no first quarterback th- Mr. Irrelevant has ever seen daylight. And and uh, also, it was in the regular season too, I believe. Not just uh, whatever, but no, he he went to a high school just down the road from me, which is kind of insane. Like Perry High School, shout out Gilbert, Arizona. But yeah, okay. uh, Brock Purdy, State he was, Pride. He was playing pretty well out there for the the 49ers. Yeah, didn't he uh, play his college ball at Iowa State? Yeah, you could say he's pretty good at football. Hey, hey, that was a pretty good win for the 49ers. No, and the 49ers defense really showed up. Two of through two picks, and then he fumbled, and they, they scored the touchdown off the fumble, and then they benched Tua after that fumble and put in Skylar Thompson, who immediately threw the ball into Fred Warner's chest, which ended the game there. But the 49ers defense showed up in all phases of the, of the game. Another defense that really showed up, well, this is we said that was going to be the last game. I'll just say a quick note about Cowboys Colts. Scorigami. Scorigami. 54-19. The 1047th uh different score in NFL history. If you don't know what Scorigami is, just look it up. It's it, worth your time. It, it, it's, it's a great it's chart. If you like charts and graphs, you'll love it. All I want to say the Jaguars are still alive in the AFC South. Only a half a game behind the Colts. Just want to say it. Bring it out there. You're welcome. You lost to the Lions. Hey, (laughs) we didn't lose as badly as they did to the Cowboys. I'll say that. Now, but as the current NFL playoff field stacks, 
out. The Bills are in first place of the AFC with the win over Kansas City, both sitting at 9-3 and three and 1-2 and two at the top of the division. Obviously, Bills would be the lone team with a bye in the 17 playoff field. The Chiefs' first round matchup as of right now would be the Jets, who sit at 7-5. and five. The Ravens would have the three seed at 8-4 and four with the tiebreaker with the win over Cincinnati, though they do play in week 18, as we've talked about, and the they would play the the Dolphins, who are eight and four. So we'd get a Ravens Dolphins rematch, which I think we got not too long ago in the season. I think it was like week two or three. It was a really good game. All right, yeah, hey, yeah early, earlier in the season, so maybe a little bit longer than I'm remembering. But then at the four five matchup, the Titans seven and five would be taking on the eight and four Bengals who uh, have the tiebreaker over the six-seeded Miami Dolphins with the head-to-head win over the Dolphins. But uh, some good matchups on the AFC side with uh, the Patriots at 6-6 six and six, um, trailing. Chargers also 6-6 six and six in the hunt. Raiders at 5-7, and seven, Browns at 5-7, and seven, and Steelers at 5-7. and seven. All have chances to get in there. But on the NFC side, Eagles running away with that top spot, 11-1. Although the Vikings, just one game behind them, 10-2 and two, technically, though it does feel like the difference between those teams is much more drastic. Um, in third, uh, the 49ers at 8-4, Buccaneers 5-6 and six, with the fourth seed as because, you know, obviously the fourth seed goes to a... Um, but they are down tonight on Monday Night Football to the Saints, so there could be some shakeups uh, to that standing. Um, the wild card teams, 5-6-7, are the Cowboys, Giants, and currently Seahawks at 7-5. and five. Obviously, Commanders in 8 there at 7-5-1 and one could sneak in. But the matchups would stack out as the Eagles getting the first round by. Vikings would play the Seahawks, Giants would play the 49ers, and the Buccaneers would play the Cowboys. Buccaneers-Cowboys, we've gotten a couple times this season, or, or in recent years, they kicked off this last year in the year that the Buccaneers opened the year, and they also played on the first night, I think on Sunday or Monday night football this season, but in the hunt behind the Commanders, who are obviously 7-5-1, and one, the closest team there, in ninth, the Lions at five and seven. Then below them, the Falcons are ten and eight. The Packers are five and eight. The Cardinals, Panthers, and Saints are all four and eight, and still technically have a chance due to the way that that bottom half of the NFC is stacking out. But just uh, kind of up in the air and a uh, interesting playoff field this year. And also another thing is, is if the Eagles were to lose another game, they would still have the tiebreaker yep. over the Vikings because they did beat them in I think it was week one or, or two or three. So if the Eagles were to lose another game, they would still hold the first seed. So they technically have a, it's almost like having a two-game lead there in the division. But moving on to NBA, I mean, we talked about uh, Atlanta a little bit. They got busted up by the Steelers this Sunday in football. But the Atlanta Hawks this year, 13-10, fourth in the East. This is a team that, I mean, but before a couple of years ago, they had a three-year drought let's say, but they had made 10 straight playoffs before uh, five seasons ago. They uh, missed three straight years, bottom four in the conference, before the last two years making it back to the postseason. Last year only as the ninth seed making that play-in tournament. The season before, obviously, uh, the fifth seed, and they made it all the way to the Eastern Conference Final before losing to the Bucks on their way to the NBA Final. But they play OKC tonight starting at 5.30, or 5-5 five five in their last 10. 
with uh, wins against Denver, Orlando, and uh, I mean, some really solid wins in here against Denver, Orlando, Sacramento, and Toronto, or, or sorry, Toronto and Milwaukee included in there. But tonight, I mean, absolute disappointment for the Atlanta Hawks falling to the Oklahoma City Thunder. So now, I mean, obviously that would, I think, make four of their last, or four wins in their last 10, four and six. But I mean, man, that's a rough loss to the Thunder guys. Uh, I was uh, looking at this team and it's just, which way are they gonna go? It's always a tough tell. They seem so middle of the pack this year. They only have two players above two assists per game. Their offense ranks 13th in the league. Their defense 15th. Um, they have practically no three-point game. They're the fourth lowest percentage in the league and have the second least attempts. So overall, they have the least three-point three-pointers made, so they don't really stretch the floor well. They have some good bigs, and obviously Trey Young, and I mean, pairing them up with DeJounte Murray is supposed to be two premier scores that are supposed to elevate this team, but it just seems like they're falling back when, I mean, like we said, recently they were in the conference final, and now... Uh, squandering, dropping a game to the Oklahoma City Thunder. And I think, I don't know, the the Hawks, they are 13-10, and 10, sitting at fourth in the East, and you were talking about them being a middling team. The entire rest of the East, besides the Cleveland Cavs and the teams above them, Milwaukee and Boston, besides that, every single team in the East has a mid-record. And, like, they're all just so close to each other. So I don't think you can, I don't know if there's a way that the Hawks are going to go, because you I don't know what way the East is going to go in general. Like, any team could pop off at any time. I think there are some teams that are more prone than others. I think the Sixers are going to definitely make a run to get ahead of them. And then you still have teams like the Raptors, the Nets, and the Heat down there that I think they could they could leap past them if things continue to struggle in Atlanta. And Evan, you were I mean, you were talking about uh, the the Hawks' stats and some like what they've been shooting from three. Only only thirty two percent this year, which we thought maybe they'd be they'd be better from range. I mean, wasn't that kind of one of their calling cards when they didn't make the playoffs a couple of years ago? Yeah. Uh, who was the uh, long – was Corver on that team? Or, uh, it was not Kevin Herter. 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 Yeah, but, like, yeah, the – so, like, they, they haven't been performing in an area where they have shown success recently. And in an NBA that is riddled by uh, – uh, you you know you you need to win by being able to make your three pointers like that's that's the only way you're gonna win. Um, they haven't been able to show too much of that this season. And yeah, like like uh, like Noah was saying, it I don't I can't I, I don't see them going anyway. They're still a really good team. I don't see them dropping a lot, but also I don't see them making up a lot of ground in their in their conference. Yeah, it kind of feels like they're kind of stuck in this middle purgatory, and this week doesn't really get much easier for them. As Wednesday, they travel to New York to take on the Knicks, and Friday they'll be hanging around that area taking on the Brooklyn Nets. Back-to-back games, two uh, New York teams always bring the crowd, you know, regular season or uh, not. And, I mean, like we said, we don't think they're going to fall back necessarily here. But after that, uh, next Monday, they play the Grizzlies. Uh, It's not – I won't say it's a horrible schedule because they do have some easy games – Easier. I mean, they lost to the Thunder tonight, laced in there. But it, they feel like a team that has just been primed and waiting to go and kind of make a name for themselves in the East and just have faltered in recent years. Yeah, the 
but barring that conference finals matchup, Atlanta's always been that team that's just been in the playoffs. They're there. They, they're, 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 they're there. No, that, that conference finals, I was so confident that they wouldn't get to where they would. I thought they were, Philly was going to beat them. I was so confident that I bet my friend a Trey Young jersey. I have that Trey Young jersey now. <laughs> you know, I think the Hawk, their Hawks are really surprising. In, in the hypothetical where, uh, where a trade doesn't happen in the draft and the Hawks uh, have Luka, I, that team like, might have been capable of winning a championship already. <laughs> just simply with a different point guard. I mean, and, and Trey Young's still pretty good, but yeah, I mean, they're in, they've incredibly average even for being fourth in the East. Yeah, I mean, Young this year averaging 27.8 points per game with 9.6 assists. But, I mean, it's a solid mark. He's a solid distributor, but he still just does not... He's not one of the top five scorers in the league, but that's the type of player that he needs to be in the identity he needs to have on this team if they want to really go. I mean, you, Trey. I mean, Trey Young's gonna be who Trey Young is, whoever he ends up being. But that being said, what they're the expectation of drafting a guy and paying a guy like you have Trey Young is that they are it. They are elite. They are what's next in it. Trey Young, he's been there. He's been an all-star, obviously. He's um, been near the top of the league conversations, but it feels like he just hasn't really taken over as the guy yet. And it, will it ever happen? I don't know, but I think a lot for Atlanta rests upon it. Well, when you get a guy like DeJounte Murray, it's kind of hard to take over as that guy, you know? <laughs> I mean, why, why would they even add DeJounte Murray? It, it, they needed help elsewhere. It's not. It wasn't even their passing game. I mean, it, add another scorer, but... It feels like they have two of the same style of player right now, and two clones out on the same team don't necessarily produce the same. Yeah. Let's switch it up. Actually, we're not going to switch it up that much because we're still going to be talking about some birds. But over in the West. And what sh- actually what should be a rivalry. You know, New Orleans Pelicans. Atlanta Hawks. New Orleans and Atlanta. You would think. And they're both birds. And they're both birds. You would think that they're that they'd both be in the East, and this would be a big matchup because New Orleans, Atlanta have so much history. The Saints, Falcons, LSU, Georgia. There, there's, there's a lot going on in the rivalry. But the NBA, the way it's structured, there, you don't get that. You don't get that rivalry. <laughs> These are two Southeast teams that aren't One's rivals. in the Southwest division. It, you know, it, it also makes a difference, though, when if, if the teams are, are, uh, are, are, are good or not. Neither, neither Atlanta or New Orleans has had much to, much to preach about when it comes well, to basketball. I mean, New Orleans this year, sitting at second in the Western Conference at 15-8, and eight, only behind the Suns. I mean, that's New Orleans. Hey. We expected them to be good this year, and as of late, on a four-game win streak, they're really showing that. Honestly, Zion is really coming into his own showing what Zion can be. Obviously, the scoring has not really been... I mean, not what you think Zion would be scoring. He's averaging about 24 points a game, seven rebounds and four assists. But, any again, any team, any player on the Pelicans can really pop off. Like, they're all, they're, their starting lineup is all averaging double digits pretty much. And then you have a guy like Jose Alvarado who put up... a bench guy who put up 38 points last... on Sunday night against... The Nuggets, who are also a really good team. 38? 38. And Jokic had a 35-point pretty much triple-double. And when you outduel Jokic in a Nuggets team like that, I think that really shows that this team, honestly, I think this team is a contender. Um, 
I mean, I'd have to agree. I mean, Zion's coming along nicely, along with his 23 points a game, has seven rebounds. I mean, you're getting 20 a game out of Ingram, 17 out of McCollum. I mean, the scores that they've added to this team really have worked out the way that you hope, and it, it kind of shows in, in comparison to the Hawks, where their only two scores are really guards. The they've the Pelicans have found a way to find scoring stretching the floor. I mean, Zion's a bigger guy inside, but we all know he could shoot from the mid range pretty well. Um, Ingram as well is a kind of score everywhere guy, better near the basket. But then you have McCollum, who's a anywhere shooter. And then Valanciunas gets 13.4 points a game in the paint, mostly with nine rebounds a game as the center. It's just, uh, it shows that I think having multifaceted, um, identities on your starting lineup and being able to produce in multiple different ways where teams can't necessarily play you one way and shut you down it it really helps a team get wins is now I mean the Pelicans 15 and 8 second in the west end right behind the Suns who they play two times this week on Friday versus Phoenix and Sunday versus Phoenix and that'll be uh Two uh, really exciting games to look out for as the the two top teams in the West taking each other on in back-to-back games uh, mid-season. Did the NBA set this up? Has the NBA given the Pelicans an easy schedule as of late so that they'd look good going into a two-game series with the Pelican or, or with the Suns? Sorry, this is the stuff I question when I see scheduling like that with a record set up like this from teams that I mean, like you said, we haven't really seen this from the Pelicans yet. We've been waiting for their I guess coming out party as a team, uh, waiting to go under Zion, but now here they are uh, atop the West. Yeah, I think you're 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 really fair to question the NBA schedule makers, uh, <laughs> but also yeah, the the Pelicans have they, they've really shown up. I mean, even more than I I thought they would. I they're they're a really young team. <laughs> they're a, they're a really young team, um, and they still like they don't have that one uh, superstar guy who and they they have McCollum and they have Zion, but they maybe don't have that high-tier superstar that you'd expect I mean, a good Zion's team to have. I mean, to be that, but, I mean, he just had... He's, he's, again, getting, he's, he's a, getting there. He, not he, there yet. Yeah, Zion, Zion's still still developing, but they yeah, they found a way to get uh, shooters around him. Like, McCollum, they got Ingram, and they got guys that can make up for the fact that Zion still uh, isn't able of putting up the numbers that he is potentially uh, capable of. Dumb basketball question. Is Josh Hart still there? He's I, in... Do not Bro, believe bad. so. I could have sworn, no. sworn he was in Portland. Oh, was he? Oh, was he that part was of the? Lot. Was he part of the McCollum deal? Yeah, uh, that I makes like, sense. I was but like, no, Josh I mean, I'm just Pelican. trying to think of uh, uh, players that I know oh. that they've had part of that shooting brigade um, recently. But no, having those guys that have been able to step in, step up and contribute is huge. Also, to give some credit to show my son's homerism, but their head coach Willie Green also coming. From the Suns organization, who saw some success, uh, they like it's uh, he has he has that experience coaching up uh, a young a young team to be successful and build a good culture. Yeah, and to look at some of the uh, top games around the NBA this week, Tuesday on TNT, the Lakers take on Cleveland at five thirty, and Dallas takes on Denver at eight p.m. Wednesday. You get the Atlanta Hawks at the New York Knicks at five thirty. Boston and Phoenix play each other. They're the two top teams in each conference on Wednesday at 8 p.m. Those two games are on ESPN. On Thursday on NBA TV, you get the Clippers at Miami at 5.30 and the Nuggets at the Blazers at 8 p.m. 
two decent, uh, I, I'd say uh, this year the Clippers across the league with Miami, two uh, pretty evenly matched up in Denver and Portland in the Western Conference, right there battling it out with each other. Friday, the ESPN caps off the uh, weekday lineup with the Lakers at Philadelphia for the first game and Milwaukee at Dallas at 8 p.m. closing out the week of primetime games. That's going to wrap it for our NBA segment tonight. Um, we'd like to thank our guests, Joe Garner and Nathan Ecker, for joining us for the full hour, getting some NBA talk, getting some uh, NFL talk earlier. I want to say one more word. You're talking about the Suns, right? I think they're down by 20. Yeah, 20. I mean, to, you know, it's, it's, it's not fair when in a game when Aiden is our top scorer and Booker only has 11. And Campaign has a double-double. Does Four, he? 14 and 10. Oh, man, that's seven I rebounds. Mean, <laughs> campaign is three rebounds away from a triple double. Shout out campaign double double. No, I, I yeah I I mean I I guess I guess to to be fair uh, for the Suns I mean they still do not have a they're out with their starting power forward who is still even not even a best possible option for them but I, I mean it's I I can't say much when we're getting owned by Luca. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> hey, Luca's Luca. I mean, this is a painful matchup that uh, has a little bit of weight from last year. And I mean, you, hey, that might be a rivalry for a bit. The Luca Devin Booker uh, matchup is going to be something, I think. Oh yeah, and I mean, there's still, and it's it's even a civil war still when we play in within Suns fans just between. Oh, should we have taken Aiden or Luca? And that's that's still a conversation that we have to have within ourselves every year. So it's. It's uh, it's a it's a huge conflict within ourselves when we have to play Dallas. Yeah, and um, but now, uh, thanks so much for coming on. And when we're back on the other side, on the double double on KLJX LP Flagstaff, we will have the real life example as always. Before wrapping it up with some World Cup talk, uh, USA is out unfortunately, but we'll be back on the other side with that. Stay tuned. Thanks so much, Nathan and Joe. Uh, hope to have you guys on next week for our final episode of the semester. Welcome back to the Double Double on KLJX LP Flagstaff. I'm your host, Evan McNeilia, alongside Noah Butler, as always, my co-host. And uh, we just one more time, like to thank our guests for coming on this last half hour, or last full hour, Nathan Ecker and Joe Gardner doing some uh, NBA and uh, NFL talk with us. If you missed that, check us out on Spotify. Go tune in on uh, KJAX Sports on um, Spotify, Apple Music, wherever you listen to podcasts, too. Check out the Double Double on KLJX LP Flagstaff. But it's that time of the show where we get into real life, Noah. And um, this week's my week to talk about my real life example for uh, the sports world. We like comparing, you know, our uh, regular everyday lives to the world of sports. But right now at NAU and around college campuses around the country, it's it's nearing the end of the semester. It's that final finals push. You're... um, Projects and finals are stacking up, and uh, grades are uh, really coming down to crunch time. Uh, some have uh, set themselves up in great position uh, through the semester, staying on top of assignments and grades. Others are scrambling to either save a letter or get bumped up a letter. Some may have already conceded and accepted defeat. <laughs> some students might have gotten sick early in the semester, missed a few assignments, maybe even a test or two. Um... There have even probably been some schedule and major changes out there. 
for some people. There, There's so many stopping points and twists and turns in the course of a semester, but, I mean, it really is, for all those, but those who have folded, it's, these final weeks have a lot riding on them. A major fault could leave GPAs tumbling. Alternatively, alternatively, exceeding these final weeks could help turn everything around. For those who are fringe or maybe just right there but need an extra push, this is the time of the school year where all the pressure is on and it's make or break time and it all comes down to your execution. If you look across... Um, the sporting leagues at the NFL we're about 12 games into the season in an older 16 game season then we this would be about three quarters of the way through the year we're sitting five games out from the playoffs now and it's getting tough some teams have set themselves up in great position to make the playoffs with a good start to the season and figuring out um their team and being able to pull out wins some teams are hanging on to spots in the playoffs or are within striking distance Others have likely played themselves out of contention with their early season and are going to have to look towards next season. However, for most of the league, these final five games will determine the end of season result and a collapse could lead to a steep fall off for a lot of these teams. You know, some have been dealing with injuries. Some teams have even gone through coaching changes, but it all comes down to how you perform now in these final weeks and what, how your season will be remembered. It doesn't matter if you lost or messed up. Uh, I mean, even a bunch early on. If you're in that striking distance, if you're still in the hunt, winning out this final week, you can control everything. Your fate's in your hands. And just like with the semester, you, you might be behind some assignments. You might be, uh, uh, you might even have failed a test, like I said. But that being said, if you're within striking distance, if you're within that range, if you can reach, uh, you know, that next letter grade or even save a grade, I mean, now's the time to do it. And it, I mean, students everywhere are feeling that pressure. Unlike most years, this year I'm having a bit of a tank year. I am more the Houston Texans of this season. I'm already out of contention. My grades are too low, and I've decided that I am going to tank for better draft capital. For me, being more mental stability going into next semester. I've had to fold a couple of my classes. I've had to push things off in order to save my grade in other classes. But that being said, yeah, we're in tank mode, but around... Around college campuses, students are put in these many different situations, whether it be having to put in full effort to save their grade and make it through the semester or getting to coast by because of how easily and well they set themselves up early on. The NFL playoff race is so comparative to the end of semester rush for college students, and I think it's a phenomenon that... In the sports world, as I mean, we're seeing a knockout tournament right now, too, where everything matters with the World Cup, which we'll get into here in a second. But just that you can make the biggest difference for yourself in this final run right now, and you can change anything, unless you're like the Houston Texans, like and like me, and have already given up. Huh. Well, that's a that's a good way to put it, Evan. I think in terms of this situation, I feel like I'd be. I feel like I'm in like a Chiefs Bills position, you know? Dang, nine and three out not, in front. Yeah, no. Coasting I, I'm to out, the end. Not necessarily coasting. I mean, there's still chances for both teams to lose the divisions, sure. Oh, not the Chiefs. 
So I'd say more the Bills. You just got to put in the work that you have yeah, to no, put in I, to get there. I just, I just have to do what I have to do to finish out strong. And I, I that's a really good comparison that you made there. Honestly. Yeah, no. So with our improved mental health going into next semester, <laughs> next season, we're going to, I mean, we're loading up a little bit. We're going to take on a little bit more. I mean, if you want to talk a little bit college football, reference we're loading up our schedule with ranked opponents we're bringing on the heavy dogs and we're gonna try and knock out as much as we can next semester but you know what this semester the way it started off it just was a tank year and like the texans who are i believe still only sitting with one or maybe two wins on the season still one still one uh I'm not sure, but possibly could be the one team already eliminated entirely from playoff contention. They still might have a mathematical chance, but it's all but looks over. We all know they're in the tank for whichever quarterback ends up going first because the names are going to get flip-flopped around four or five times through the draft and combine process. But that's going to be... That's my semester, and I think that's my uh, real-life example for this week. It's a pretty good real-life example to end out on. I don't know how I'm going to one-up that for our last one. <laughs> I know. I'm thinking Christmas. I think that's a good way to Hey, go. hey, there, there's a lot we could do with uh, holiday time to uh, uh, to uh, compare to our uh, real life. And, I mean, I, I don't know if you guys remember, but if you played Madden 12, um, one of a, a real-life example that Chris Collinsworth used on the broadcast was um, – Every week, every week, or not every week, obviously, but whenever you're going into week one of a uh, new season in franchise mode, Chris Collinsworth will always make the comment that um, it's like a, I mean, today the start of the season is like a box of, it's like a, it's like Christmas, man. You run downstairs, you want to see what's inside the box, and uh, you just can't wait for things to get going or something like that. But I, I just remember that. So there's there's plenty of directions that you can go using the holiday for a, a analogy. I mean, shoot, we even used Thanksgiving a couple of weeks ago, I think. I think we did. Well, let's lead into our last section here, you know? World Cup. World Cup. The round of 16 is here. Games have already been played. Teams have already been ousted. Two Asian teams lost today, both Japan and South Korea. Japan, nail-biting penalty kick loss for the Japanese side. Watching that one in class today and just an absolute uh, tension, tension. They kicked the ball to the, uh, in penalty kicks, the Japanese team kicked the ball to the left side of the goal Three straight times in a row. It was blocked all three times, and Croatia was able to pull out. I'd like to check the field for a slight lean. I don't know. Yeah, was there was there a tilt in the field? Who knows? Well, South Korea got absolutely mogged. Four to one to four Brazil. To one. Brazil scored four goals in the first half. Something that hadn't been done since 1965. Wow, uh, you could say that's historic. You could say that's historic. <laughs> Vinicius Jr., Neymar, Rickarlson, and one other one other Brazil player. They they broke out the dance team. They mm. broke out the dance team after the fourth one. I'm checking yeah, right just, now, but it was a dominating performance. And like you said, uh, I just uh, I, the tough for South Korea was 
tough. They had had a really good run in, really fought through that final um, round of uh, group stage play to get into the tournament and to see it kind of, um, I, I mean, not turn around backfire, whatever you want to yeah. say, because it's not really a backfire, but it's just a tough opponent in Brazil. But to see a four to one defeat, uh, you know, at the hands of a historic loss and a historic feat achieved on the other side, it's it's not a good look. And I mean, it, you got to feel for Sun and Kim, all of them. And um, just, I was really pulling for them the entire tournament. And and it just, I mean, it came at the hands of Brazil. There's not too many uh, tougher uh, nations. No, I don't think there's a team. I mean, you obviously don't want to lose. But if you're going to lose, you're going to lose to Brazil. Brazil is just the dominant powerhouse team. Yeah, just incredible. Yeah, Vinicius Jr., Neymar... Richarlson and Lucas Paqueta. Lucas Paqueta. That's the last one I was missing. Yeah. yeah I mean, these, these goal times, 7, 13 off a penalty, 29, 30, I think that's 6 or 8. I'm a little bit blind, and it's light gray on gray. So 30. I, mean, I think it was a 36-minute, yeah. 36-minute goal. But, I mean, like we said, um, Pax Young-Ho scores uh, in the 74th minute for Korea, but, I mean, at that point, down 4-1, it's a little bit futile. I mean, a little bit of pride. You get a little bit of energy back, but, I mean, Brazil will now get to go on and play um, Croatia, who, uh, coming off a long match, 110 or 120 minutes into penalties, it's, um, it's, I'm... Not as familiar with soccer as I am with football, but I'd assume coming off a longer match like that, having to play an extra 30 minutes in the tension of a shootout, going through winning, even though that's a, a big uh, emotional moral victory, um, there is a physical toll that can be had in that situation. <clears throat> no, I think soccer really, it's really relies on the emotional just as much as the physical. I think if you have a victory like that, because it's just all it's all about your nation and your nation's pride that's what you're playing for essentially so i think even through the physical toll a lot of these players will continue to play at the highest level i luka modric is still playing for croatia which is crazy he's 36 or 37 i'm pretty sure yeah a lot of older uh players uh, playing in this world cup and looking at uh, sunday's matches with france and poland kicking off that one mbappe Absolutely Mother. went off against Poland for, uh, was it two goals and an assist? Two goals and an assist on Olivier Giroud's 50th goal. Hey, that's a milestone, I'd say. He passed Thierry Harry for the most, oh, no, it was his 54th. He passed for the um, most goals scored in French internet or national team history. Yeah, Giroud scores early on in the, or I mean, late in the first half in the 44th minute, but Kylian Mbappé comes through with two second half scores to take the win. At the end of the 90 minutes in penalty time, though, they did give Robert Lewandowski one final penalty kick in the World Cup, and um, he missed the original, he missed the first one, and um, but uh, France, due to uh, his awkward, his run-up was awkward, he uh, faked once before kicking it back the other way and um the goalkeeper ended up saving it the first time or i I forget if it was the goalkeeper or if it missed one or the other but the second time uh, a french player entered the box before he kicked the ball so he got to reattempt it second time drills it closes out his career or world cup career at the very least with um i think he has now has 82 international goals for poland in his career 
Just like a uh, huge mark for Lewandowski, and it's uh, going to miss watching him play on the world stage. Yeah, really, uh, watching a lot of these guys play on the world stage, that leads us into Argentina and Australia. Argent- the Argentines did not look that spectacular in this matchup, I will be quite honest, but they still pulled out a 2-1 to one victory against Australia. Messi, obviously, hits his first knockout stage goal in the World Cup. Huge accomplishment for one of my favorite players of all time and one of the best of all time. Yeah, opened up the scoring, and it was a great shot by Messi. I mean, he just found the smallest opening in the defense, and uh, I, there was just nothing the keeper could do to actually get over to it and uh, fired it into that right side of the net. And uh, a beautiful shot, and uh, that's what Argentina needed because obviously coming back the other way, Australia did end up getting a goal in a match, so um, Argentina does end up winning 2-1. to one with Julian Alvarez, Man City product, uh, scoring the other goal to uh, send home the Socceroos. Oh, man. That would have been a great run to see. Every, I think every single Asian team is out now. Uh, Australia, three. Japan, and South Korea. Those are the three that had qualified. Yep, and, and they're all, all out. eliminated. So, um, I want to see the Socceroos going around. That would have been very cool to see. The AFC is out of the playoffs. The AFC... Wrong football. This is that's wrong football. Or uh, no, Asian football conference, right? Oh, uh, the Asian football conference. That's uh, their uh, Concacaf. No. Yeah, that's their. Con- I like I like Concacaf. That's Concacaf is such a cool name. I like it. It rolls it off is. the tongue. Well, a Concacaf team. Yeah, that's not a, a bad one. A Concacaf team that got got eliminated at the hands of the Dutch. Um, the lone Concacaf team to advance to the round of sixteen. The USA. Oh. Three to one to the Netherlands. I mean, this was a uh, tough match, and uh, three to one looks a little bit more lopsided than what the contest actually played out as on the pitch. The U.S. just wasn't able to fit in um, or, or to score as consistently off of their many, many opportunities that they created um, late in the match. Um, bringing on they brought on Gio Reyna finally. I don't know why he wasn't starting. Who was it that kicked the goal to make it two to one? Or uh, Haji Wright. Haji Wright. Yeah, he he kicks a goal to make it two one late in the game. U.S. think they have a lifeline or something. It's immediately snuffed out by the third and final goal of the match. Yeah, just five minutes later just in the eighty-first minutes. minutes, and you know that's five minutes, that's including the, the celebration time that the USA had for getting a goal. But yeah, that's yeah. I, it just nail uh, in the coffin. Yeah. It, the, the the two minutes we had to be excited and oh maybe if we get one more and I'm saying yeah I'll say we for the USA it's the USA it's the USA that this radio show is a US radio show we lost three to one but that being said just uh tough in Memphis to pay absolutely tore the U.S. apart. He was everywhere. He was controlling possession. It just there wasn't really anything that the U.S. could do to uh stop him from controlling the pace for the Netherlands. Well, there's nothing the U.S. could do to really stay in the game. I mean, a CONCACAF team going up against a UEFA powerhouse with the likes of Virgil van Dijk and Depay is just, I don't know. There's not much you could say. Well, except the USA, Mexico, and Canada are back in 2026. Yeah, so we get Netherlands-Argentina Friday at noon for uh, 
that matchup. That should be a very good matchup. Netherlands are a team that are kind of peaking right now in their World Cup run. Um, they didn't have the strongest group stage, but after beating a USA team that was surging a little bit with strong uh, group stage performances against countries like uh, England, who defeated Senegal 3 to nothing in the first round of the knockout round, unfortunately. Uh, just a dominating performance by the three Lions. But that being said, it just... Um, it didn't go their way, and now, so, with Netherlands, Argentina, uh, the back line that is uh, the eight, uh, I, mean, I mean, Netherlands knows how to park that back line, but we have one of the top scores in the league with uh, Lionel Messi on the other end. Uh, the other matches, Croatia versus Brazil, Friday at 8 a.m. The Tuesday matches winners, which are tomorrow, Morocco versus Spain, tomorrow at 8 a.m., and Portugal, Switzerland, tomorrow at noon, will play Saturday at 8 a.m., the winners of those two matches. And then England versus France, an absolute heater of a match between two very hot teams coming off of three goal performances, Saturday at noon. Uh, just really excited for what we've got going this year in the World Cup. But that's pretty much going to wrap it up for tonight's episode of the Double Double. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Evan McNeely for Noah Butler. And uh, we'd like to thank both of our guests, um, Joe Gardner and Nathan Ecker, for coming on for our first hour of the show. Uh, thanks for tuning in and uh, have a good night, everybody. <laughs>